sure most of you know what a little bit of guilt feels like. Just imagine if you had all the guilt of the world. The guilt of the world. And you have still not out the grace of God. He is able to forgive you. If that does not cause you to worship, I don't know what will. Let's go to our sovereign and good, gracious God and ask for his help in understanding his word this morning. Father, you are faithful. As we stand on the brink of a, of a new year, the word faithful comes to mind. As we recall the, the joys and the challenges, and the trials of 2011, Lord, They remind us of a God who is faithful to his children, who is merciful, who is gracious, who is abounding in steadfast love and kindness and forgiveness. This is you, O God. You are holy. And we thank you, Father, that you call us your children. So we come to you as your children this morning, needy, broken. We come asking for help, Lord. We need a word from heaven. We need the bread of life to satisfy our souls, Lord. Fill us, Lord Jesus, till we want no more. We ask that you would come and illuminate our minds, open up our eyes. Father, give us hearts to receive your word. Help this weak and feeble preacher, Lord. Holy Spirit, fill me, Lord, to communicate your word, Father, to your people. Oh, Lord, we need your help. And there's a small but simple cry. We say help, Lord. Help, Lord Jesus, help. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today marks a new year. Happy New Year to all of you. And with the new year comes tasks and, and list of things that you, that you need to get done. Sure, at the top of some of your lists is the, uh, the task of taking down the Christmas tree and putting away the Christmas decorations. Now, I know that there are one, of, one or two of you that are overachievers, and that's already done. Christmas tree is packed away. Christmas decorations are up, but if you are anything like the Duncanson household, we have yet to do that, and that is still on our list of things to do. 
You know, some people, they, they even leave up their Christmas lights all year long. They just don't turn them on so that they, they don't have to put them up again next year. But there's this funny thing about Christmas trees. You could do that with Christmas lights. But there's this funny thing about Christmas trees. They don't last all year long. I remember in college, I had a roommate, and our first Christmas, we decided, these two bachelors, that we were going to put up a Christmas tree. So we went out and bought a Christmas tree, and we basically just threw some tinsel on it. It was, it was a poor-looking Christmas tree. <laughs> no lights, no ornaments, just tinsel all over it. Well, we decided that we were going to go home for Christmas. We went our separate ways, and we left the tree there at the apartment. Well, when we had come back from our Christmas break, of course, the tree was brown. The tree had died while we were away. And instead of trying to get it out of the apartment, what we did was we just shook the tree so that all the needles would fall off and we just vacuumed up the needles and then took the tree and threw it in the dumpster, right? There's this funny thing about Christmas trees. They They don't last. That is the nature of a Christmas tree. The vibrant color, the, the aroma that comes from a freshly cut pine tree inevitably after a few weeks begins to shrivel up and die. At that point, all it is good for is firewood. Well, why is that the case? Why don't Christmas trees last? Well, there's a simple answer. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure it out. It's been severed from the root. There's no more nutrients getting to that tree. It's been been cut from its lifeline. And so when you pick up that tree from the tree stand, no matter how green it is, no matter how vibrant the colors, that tree is destined to die you have basically purchased a dead tree. To that tree, the root is everything, and without it, it can't survive. Most of us know a little, little, little about gardening. And so the short parable that Jesus tells here in John chapter 15 can easily get lost on us. We have trouble with the the terminology and the, the terms and understanding the connections that Jesus is trying to make here. But I can think of no better truth to begin the new year than the truth that Jesus explains here in John 15. There's no better truth to to contemplate and to think on as we begin the new year. Because you see, with the new year, the new year brings with it new ideas and new goals, resolutions, new diets, new books to read, new classes to take. There is a fresh start that brings with it an added burst of motivation to accomplish things, to get things done, to change old habits, and to begin new 
ones. But the new year also brings with it some unknowns. Some unknowns. Will I have a job at the end of the year? Is this the year that I will find a husband or a wife? Will there be enough money to make it this year? What health issues will I encounter? What health issues await me? Will I lose a loved one this year? A combination of fresh start with these unknown situations that we face in the new year can be very dangerous if we fail to see what Jesus is saying to us in John 15. Yes, he is talking to his disciples here. Yes, he is communicating something to his disciples. But brothers and sisters, whether you have been a Christian for 20 years or this is your first time stepping into a church building, there is a word in here for you. Jesus is seeking to communicate something to you this morning. Jesus is addressing all of us in this text. So it's important that we listen because in this text are warnings and in this text are blessings. Jesus in this parable likens our relationship with him to a vineyard. Yes, he's speaking of his disciples, but but this relationship is for all Christians. He likens it to a, a, a vineyard. And I don't think Jesus can can really paint a better picture for us. For in a vineyard, you've got life and death. There are trees that, that, that bear fruit, and there are trees that don't. And in this garden, in this vineyard, there is typically an overseer, someone who takes care of the vineyard, determines what, what trees to plant, what's growing and what's needs to be cut down and inspects the fruit in this vineyard. It plants and it it waters. There is a gardener who has made this garden and planted everything in it. Brothers and sisters, the vine dresser here, Jesus is referring to is God. God, he is the vine dresser. He's the husbandman, the one who carefully and attentively and faithfully watches over his vineyard. The disciples would have been quite, quite familiar with this reference. For Israel, for Israel was known as the vine. God had plucked this vine, Israel, out of Egypt and he cleared a land for them. And he planted them and he watered this vine and cared for this vine. This vine, instead of bearing fruit, instead of bearing the grapes that God was looking for, it produced wild grapes. Fruit that was not pleasing to the vine dresser. So God says this in Isaiah 5 and 5 and 6. He says, and now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge 
and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no more more upon it. This was the judgment that God had pronounced on Israel, the vine that he had planted because they produced wild grapes. They produced wild fruit, fruit that was not pleasing to God. See, Israel was known as the vine, but they were only a type. They were a pointer. And here, Jesus in John 15, Jesus announces to the disciples that he is the true vine. That he is the true vine, the one who had come to fulfill what Israel could not fulfill. He had come to produce good, long-lasting fruit. Brothers and sisters, here is what you need to know and you need to understand this morning. Jesus is the true vine. Do you understand what that means? Jesus is the true vine. And he says here that we are the branches. Brothers and sisters, branches cannot survive on their own. When have you been in a forest and seen a branch on its own bearing fruit? We need to be attached to a vine. And because we want to succeed so bad and because we want to, we set goals and we've, we've got desires and we want to grow and we, we want to do good, we end up attaching ourselves to vines that aren't the true vine. So we, we attach ourselves to our families. We attach ourselves to our jobs, to our money, to our schools, to our professions, to our possessions, our relationships. The list goes on and on. You look to those things to provide your lifeline, to provide your nourishment. But you know what those things are? They're like that Christmas tree stand. Do you know what you do with a Christmas tree stand? You put water in it to help that tree last a little bit longer. What we do is we seek to gain nourishment from these waters, from these jobs, from these families in our lives. It's just, it's just prolonging the inevitable. We're not attached to, to the true vine. We've got these false vines that we're seeking to gain our fulfillment from. Ultimately knowing that those things will lead to our death. They won't bear fruit. What Jesus is saying here 
is that all those vines that we seek to attach ourselves to are false. He says, listen, I am the true vine. All other vines will cause you to bear fruit that is not pleasing to God. It's not lasting. And guess what? You perhaps won't bear fruit at all. So Jesus establishes that he is the true vine. And then he tells his disciples to abide in him. To abide in him. That as the branches that sprout from the vine, they are to remain there. That's what abiding means, to to remain or to continue, to stay. Seven times, seven times in the first seven verses, Jesus mentions the word abide. You think it's important? Before we look at the importance of abiding, before we look at the importance of abiding, a question should arise. A question should arise. If abiding means to remain in Christ, if abiding means to remain in Christ, how does one get in Christ to begin with? That is the question that needs to be answered. Everyone needs to answer that question. Because there's only two people that exist. You are either in Christ or you are not in Christ. There's no in between. So the question is, how do I get in Christ? Jesus says in verse 6 of John chapter 15, he says this. If anyone does not abide in me, He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Brothers and sisters, those not found in Christ on judgment day, those are branches that will be gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. This is what Jesus says. I'm not making it up. This is what he says. That those branches on judgment day, if you are not found in Christ, attached to the true vine, you will be gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. Why will this happen? Because you're unclean. Your sin has defiled you before the vine dresser. The fruit you are producing is not pleasing to God. It's, it's rotten fruit that you are producing. You are like that Christmas tree that has been severed from the root. And no matter how vibrant, no matter how successful you look, you are a withering branch destined for death. That's the warning, brothers and sisters. That is the warning here. But I pray that you have ears to hear and eyes to see the grace and the mercy of the vine dresser. Jesus says in John 15, Jesus Jesus says um, in John 15 and 3, already you are clean Because of the word I have spoken to you. What word? What word is Jesus talking about here? Jesus is pointing them to John chapter 13. 
Do you remember what happened in John chapter 13? When Jesus and the disciples are in the upper room and Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, he takes out his towel and his basin and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. Rabbis, teachers don't wash the feet of their disciples. But Jesus here goes and begins to wash the feet of his disciples. And when he gets to Peter, Peter realizes what is happening. And he says, no, Lord. No, Lord, you will not wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Peter says, well, not my, just my feet, Lord, but my hands and my whole body as well. How do you get in Christ? How are you united to him? You allow Jesus to wash you and not just wash you with water. He washes you with his blood. He cleans you. He cleans you. Picture the, 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 the vine dresser walking through the garden and seeing this dying branch. Vine dresser carefully sees you, picks you up and engrafts you into the true vine. And you now have a life washed clean. You, how do you get in Christ? You, you trust him like the disciples did. You trust that he is able to forgive you of your sins, to make you clean, to make you fit to stand before the vine dresser. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you hear that this morning. You see, because there is no abiding in Christ unless you are first in him. want to be in Christ this morning, trust him. Trust him. That needs to be your first order of business. This is the warning here in this passage. And I pray that you have heeded it. Not only are there warnings, there, there are blessings also here in this passage. There are wonderful blessings or what we have been calling on Thursday nights during our catechism studies, benefits for those who are attached to the vine. And they remain in the vine. That's right, benefits. Benefits to being in Christ. Can you believe that? That's what we said on Thursday nights. It's amazing that there are benefits to being in Christ. It's just enough to be in Christ, that we are adopted into the family of God. We who were once far off now have been adopted into the family of the living, holy God. As Paul says in, in Romans chapter 11, that we were a wild olive branch. Now we have been engrafted 
into the olive tree. We are also justified. That's we're justified by being in Christ. In Christ, we are justified now. Our, 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 our slates wiped clean, counted righteous because of what Christ did. He bore our sin, and now we get the righteousness of Christ. We're also being made clean, washed, forgiven. Our slate wiped clean. All of these gifts we receive because we are in Christ. Guess what? But there is more. There is more. There's, there is gravy there. There is more. There's, there's goodness there. There's blessings there. there. There are more benefits. Can you believe that? Granted. Granted, we abide in Christ. We remain in him. Let's look at some of these benefits and these blessings those who abide in Christ receive. We receive the promise. We receive the promise that we will bear fruit. Those who abide in Christ will bear fruit, not might, but will bear fruit. This is the promise of those who are in Christ. We will produce fruit. You will grow. You will become more Christ-like. God can and will use you and you will bring him pleasure. He will be pleased to use you. You can know that because you are attached to the vine, that not only do you have the ability to bear fruit, but this is what you were saved for, to bear fruit. So this year, why don't we strive, seek to bear fruit, outdoing one another in service? Considering others more highly than yourself. Giving joyfully and willingly. Putting to death sin. Walking according to the spirit. In love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and self-control. Make these your goals this year. To bear fruit. The success for the Christian, this is what's success for the Christian, that you bear fruit. Not, not the promotion on the job. Not how much money is in your bank account or how much weight you're able to lose. How many books you can read. The amount of straight A's you can get on your, on, on your report card this year. Those are not success for the Christian. Success for the Christian is bearing fruit. Yes, those things are good things. But those things are false vines. False vines can produce those results. False vines can help you lose weight. False vines can get you straight A's. But only Jesus, only the true vine, can produce the fruit of that is lasting, the joy, 
and the patience that you need, the faith that you need. Only the true vine produces that. You know what else that fruit does? It assures us that we are in him. It assures us that we are attached to the true vine. Look at what verse 8 says. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What a blessing. Perhaps you're here this morning wondering Wondering, as you, as you listen to this message, you're wondering, am I in Christ? That's what you're wondering. Well, fruit is the test. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, you will know my disciples by their fruit. Those who are not in Christ do not bear fruit, especially not lasting fruit. There is no vine to produce it. So, This morning, take inventory. Look back over 2011. Look back over the year and see if there is any fruit. I mean, just even a little bit of growth. More patience with the kids. You you served more and gave more of your talents, your treasures, and your gift in 2011 than you did in 2010. You saw small victories over sin. You were able to control your tongue just a little bit more this year. Brothers and sisters, that's fruit. That's fruit only the true vine could produce. And it is an evidence, it is evidence that you are attached to the true vine because only the true vine produces fruit. Brothers and sisters, this is another warning. You see, Jesus had in mind here Judas too. Jesus had in mind here Judas as well. Oh, Judas looked a lot like the, 12, like the 11, didn't he? Brothers and sisters, there are some of you that come just on Sunday morning and Thursday. You, you, you think you're attached to the vine. Oh, but there's no fruit. The warning here is that you will be cut off. And so Jesus is telling you, attach yourself to the vine, get in the vine, get in Christ, abide in Christ. So that's the warning to you this this morning. Do inventory. Is there fruit in your life? That's evidence that you are attached to the vine. And so Jesus' exhortation is to remain there. It's to stay there, to abide there. When we abide in Christ, not only do we produce fruit, not only do we produce fruit, but now we also have, we see suffering as a blessing rather than a curse. 
As we said earlier, the new year brings a lot of unknowns. Those unknowns produce anxiety. And we, we fear the difficult days ahead. It's a reality. This year, 2012, there will be difficult situations, difficult conversations, struggles ahead in 2012. It, I mean, it affects Christians and non-Christians alike. You, you, you're, you're not, uh, they're coming. They're coming. But those who abide in Christ now have context for those sufferings. They can see them as a blessing because of what Jesus says in verse 2 of chapter 15. Look at what he says. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Do you see what he is saying? The the vine dresser is always pruning the branches. Pruning is a gardening term. It is the cutting away, the shaping of those things which are unhealthy for the branch. It is done so that the tree or the plant can bear more fruit. The sufferings and the trials and the difficulties ahead in 2012 are to prune you so that you may bear more fruit. God is cutting and shaping you with his word, with the trials and the sufferings that he is bringing towards you. Oh, and you must know. And you must know that he is a good vine dresser. He knows exactly what he is doing. He knows where to cut, when to cut, how to cut. He's skillful. He's careful. He's loving. Oh, he, he does it in such a way so as to not break a bruised reed. This is the vine dresser. This is what God does. You can trust him. You can trust him. His pruning has purpose. It has purpose. How about taking that perspective into the new year with you? How about taking that perspective into the new year? Why worry about the uh, the unknowns? Why worry about the difficult, trying situations that are going to come? God has a purpose in them. They are to bear and to produce more fruit in your life. In fact, we should not worry about the sufferings, but we should welcome them. If what Jesus says is true, that his pruning, that his cutting is so that we would bear more fruit, why not welcome them? Why not rejoice in our sufferings? As Paul says in Romans, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. What if, what if you were to make that your goal this year? Rejoice when suffering comes. I know you're saying, well, man, that's, this is, these are more blessings than I, than, I, than I deserve. 
But guess what? There's even more. And in fact, Jesus just touched the surface here. There's just a few blessings that he mentions from being in Christ. There is more. There's only one more in our passage this morning. Jesus says that abiding in Christ results in answered prayer. Results in answered prayer. I mean, the words from Jesus here are almost shocking. They're almost shocking. It, it, it's, it's amazing. Look, look, look what he says. Ask, and this is verse 7, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Oh, but how often do people leave off the first part of that verse? If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The promise is to those who are abiding in Christ and his words are abiding in them, then of course, whatever you ask will be in accordance with his word. Your prayers and your requests will mirror what God says is best for you. What a benefit. What a privilege. What a blessing. Those who find themselves abiding in Christ pray fruit-bearing prayers. And God is pleased. Not only is he pleased, but he is delighted to answer those prayers. What a comfort. What a comfort to to think upon this year as you go to your knees in prayers to know that if you are abiding in Christ and his word is dwelling in you richly, that whatever you ask will be in accordance with his will and it will be answered. In fact, this should be motivation to pray in the new year. (laughs) What wonderful blessings. What wonderful blessings come from abiding in Christ. The the promise of fruit. The promise that your suffering will produce more fruit. And the assurance of answered prayer granted that you abide in Christ. Well, what does it mean to abide? That's the question. What does it mean to abide? Well, like Paul, it means to press on. Philippians 3 and 12. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It means to stand firm or to be steadfast. 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It means to continue. Colossians 1, 21 to 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, 
stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You know what, a, what, a, what to abide ultimately means? To abide in Christ ultimately means to trust Christ. It means to trust him. When he said in John 15 and 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. That's what it ultimately means to abide in Christ. It means to trust him. Because as you see, all those imperatives stand. All those imperatives press on, continue. There's indicatives in there. There are indicatives in those verses. Jesus does it. Jesus does it. He does it. That's what it means to abide. Listen, I know some of you, you're goal-oriented. You like resolutions. So you've got a list already of like 20 pages long of things you want to accomplish in 2012. Some of you don't even have one goal. <laughs> can, I, can I push you this morning? Can I challenge you this morning? Those of you that have pages of goals listed, I pray that at the top of that list is to abide in Christ. May that be your goal this year, to remain, to stay, to continue in Christ. Those of you that don't have a goal, you now have a goal. Abide in Christ. Think about it. Think about this. If our ultimate end is to glorify God, right? If that's what we're supposed to do, is to glorify him, And we glorify him by bearing fruit. Well, how does one bear fruit? You abide in Christ. You abide in Christ. And so that should be your ultimate goal always. To stay, to remain in Christ. Knowing that abiding in Christ produces fruit. Fruit that will glorify and honor God himself. Brothers and sisters, let us in 2012 make that our goal. Abide in Christ. Trust him. Remain there. When suffering comes, when trials come, when joy comes, whatever comes, you say, I am going to abide in Christ in 2012, knowing that it will produce fruit that 
glorifies and honors the vine dresser. Let us pray.